Yo, 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 what is up, my man? Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Oh my goodness, guys, I'm about to share with you an epic interview with a guy named Connor Beaton. A bunch of you probably already know who he is. He's got a pretty large platform online. But in case you don't, uh, this is the founder of Man Talks. And this is a guy who has been through the ringer. He has been through a lot. Uh, But out of his journey and struggles as a man, he has created a resource. He's created platforms and uh, just a whole bunch of really valuable information to help men go through issues that men go through, you know, mental well-being, relationships, sexual challenges. Uh, He covers the whole gamut. And I would say he's one of the more articulate voices that we have in this arena of healthy masculinity with kind of a clinical flair, if I can put it that way. He's um, very well studied, really well spoken, and this was a very robust interview. We talked about everything from porn to AI to addictions and attachment and kind of capped it all off with fatherhood and nervous system regulation. Um, if you applied even a fraction of the things that we discussed today, like either you did some of the, we talked about like some practical activities and exercises. So if you either did those things or if you even just internalized some of the concepts, like even one or two concepts that really stick out, you internalize it for like the next week or two, you will become a better man. And that's the goal. These are the kinds of uh, interviews that I'm trying to bring you every week because I want you to become everything God made you to be. I want you to step into your fullness. And I know for a fact this interview will help you do exactly that. Now, one quick disclaimer, uh, Connor cusses. And so if that's something that you're not comfortable with, we've bleeped all the words out. Uh, But it's just something I want to give you a heads up on because I know some of you are a little sensitive to that. So uh, without further ado, this is my interview with Connor Beaton. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam, welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with Connor Beaton, founder of Man Talks, author of. Uh, I'm gonna make sure. I gotta make sure I get this right. What's the What's the book called again? I apologize. I'm trying to blank here. Men's work. Men's, men's work. work. Yeah, yeah. I put men's workbook in my notes, and I'm like, that. I know that's not what it's called. Men's work. Um, dude, congratulations on your work, and you've been really doing some incredible things. Uh, one of the earlier pioneers of healthy masculinity, I would say, especially in an online format. And uh, just super honored to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being here. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation and looking forward to our convo. Yeah. So, okay, let, let's jump right in. Most of the the men's, uh, the, like the bigger men's platforms that I speak with, we talked about Ryan Mickler before we hit record. And um, I know I've been connecting with a guy named uh, John Harvey, who leads King's Community. And I always ask them, hey, what, like, what are the, what's the number one issue that comes up in your community? Or what's the thing that guys seem to be really struggling with? And it's usually a conglomerate of loneliness and porn addiction. Um, those two are pretty much at the top. So our, our work here is dedicated um, almost exclusively to helping guys with porn addiction. That's kind of what we focus on. And I, I guess I want to just ask you the question straight up, you know, is, is porn addiction something you're observing in your following and your client base? Is it as prevalent as maybe it's cracked up to be? And, um, and then I guess the second question would be, what are some of the solutions you're offering for guys in that scenario? 
Yeah, um, it, it definitely is. This is something that I actually wrote about in the book. I wrote a whole section on porn uh, because, you know, my my late teens, early 20s, I definitely struggled with porn addiction. It was something where, you know, multiple times a week I was watching it, sometimes for, you know, two, three hours at a time. It was it was pretty bad, you know, yep. it was pretty bad. Losing sleep, you know, not going out with friends. It was it was rough. Um, and all while in a relationship, you know, and being unfaithful in that relationship, which I think porn had some contribution to that for sure. Uh, not in, you know, it wasn't in sort of like the entirety of my decision, um, to be unfaithful, but it certainly, I think contributed to it. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of men, here's how I'll put it. We as men have access to more women on the digital space like you if you go watch porn for a couple hours you're probably going to see more naked women than most men throughout the entirety of human history saw in their entire lifetime yeah you know and so the the over the desensitization the overstimulation that you get in watching pornography is you know there's a lot of research that's coming out it's not great for your brain it's not great for your your sexual body, right? Your sexual energy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not super great for your relationship. And this isn't to shame it. I, you know, I'm I'm less, I always try to like approach this conversation from the standpoint of I'm not here to tell you that like porn is bad, porn is wrong. You should never watch it. You know, I think there's a lot of porn shaming that's out there. Definitely. I don't think that necessarily supports um. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's that's good. I, you know, I had Dr. Anna Lemke on the show. She's a Stanford professor. Yeah, the and dopamine. We talked about specialist. yeah, dopamine yeah. detox, and so you know, I I think a lot of guys are struggling with it. And imagine being an alcoholic who had a liquor cabinet in their pocket. You know, nice. it's just we we just I think we undervalue and underestimate the accessibility problem that porn offers right like mm. for an alcoholic you have to go and buy booze or you got to go make it for a drug addict you know you got to go and procure the drugs and you know find a place to take it and yada 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 but with porn you literally can access it at any time from any place no matter what you're doing and mm. so the the use of the word addiction I think is a little controversial for a lot of guys because they hear that and they're like, how can you be addicted to porn? That's ridiculous. But the reality is, is that if you are, you know, I think somebody said addiction is giving up everything for one thing mm. and sobriety is giving up that one thing for everything. Yeah, and right. so for a lot of guys, the reality is that they are giving up a lot of stuff in their life in order to prioritize pornography, right? They're they're giving up sexual connection with their wife or their girlfriend. They're giving up, you know, sleep. They're giving up <laughs> uh, time for work or working out. They're giving up the energy that they need to go to the gym the next morning. You know, they're like, they're giving up a lot of stuff to go and watch porn. Yeah. And the reality is, is I've dug in with a lot of men. I've worked with tens of thousands of men over the last decade. And there's a couple of things that I've learned over the years. One, a lot of men have um, ritualized pornography. And so one of the things that I talk about in the book is, 
you know, you need to write out what your porn ritual is because a lot of men have habitualized it. It's like a Pavlovian response, right? Yep. So getting clear on what your porn ritual is. Do you watch it every night before bed? Do you watch it when you wake up in the morning? Is there a certain type of porn that you are drawn to? And really starting to dig into why are you watching it at that time? Why does your ritual look like that? Um, you know, what about the content that you're watching seems to be appealing? You know, what's mm. happening within you, within your psyche, within your life, within your relationship that's pushing you down this path of watching that specific type of porn? So those are some of the things that men can do. Um, I Like I said, I just want to finish the thought on, um, on is it an issue? I think it's one of those things where where it's easy for men to not talk about it. And it's yeah. very uncomfortable to talk about it. You yeah. know, like <laughs> you, how do you broach with your buddies? Like, Hey, I've been watching too much porn lately. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, how do you say like, so I, you know, cause you're, you're probably not going to be like, Hey, like I stayed up last night watching porn for two hours, you know, like right. that's most guys don't have that type of conversation with their, with their buddies. And so the reality is, is that it can become this, this kind of, coping mechanism that a lot of men use uh to deal with stress to deal with anxiety to deal oh, yeah. with not being able to sleep to deal with their their anger or their grief or their depression or whatever it is and it's very uncomfortable to talk about it and so i think it's one of the the biggest problems that men face and the least talked about issue that men uh, we'll discuss. I think that men are generally more likely to say, you know, I've been drinking lately more than I'd like to, or I've been smoking more weed lately than I'd like to, or I've been playing more video games lately than I'd like to, than, mm -hmm. than we are uh, to saying, hey, I've been watching more porn than I'd like to. <laughs> I think that that's, so it, so it kind of flies underneath the radar. So yes, yeah. I think it's an issue. There's a lot more things that I think I could say about what could help men, but maybe I'll just pause there to get your thoughts. No, I mean, I, I was just going to add, I think every time I tell, usually what, usually when people ask me what I do, I say, you know, I'm an addictions coach or whatever. And then they're like, oh, what kinds of addictions? Like alcohol, drugs, like no more behavioral stuff. You know, like I, I give them a couple of chances before I actually say it's porn. And when I'm talking to guys, the response I almost always get is, oh yeah, I used to struggle with that stuff. But I know the numbers and I know that at least probably 60% of those guys are lying and actually still struggle with it. It's just mm -hmm. that like, that's, that's the story you get, even if you do go and broach the subject. So I, I totally agree with like, just the, the barrier to entry is not easy for this conversation. And, and that's why I'm really grateful that you do talk about it, um, you know, on your platform, because I, I know your guys, I'm sure benefit a lot from it. I, I want to ask you, you, you made a great analogy, which is that today it's like having uh like having a mickey in your pocket at all times for an alcoholic and the direction i see things going in technologically is people are actually going to have like their own liquor store all to themselves with artificial intelligence virtual reality some of those developments that are um that are kind of brewing i mean they're already here but obviously they're the technology is going to get better do you have do you have some thoughts on on what that might look like what what do you think the impact is of ai and technology developing and do you think this gets worse cuz i i've heard different opinions i think some people think it's going to get worse and some people think that as the technology pushes a more extreme version of it it might actually create a more polarity and maybe more people deviate from it and kind of revolt against it well i don't know what do you have any thoughts about it i do i have many thoughts about this i think um uh well let me just break this down into a couple categories so one um my framework 
is that all addictions are attachment issues. Um, yep. So we can maybe circle back around on that. And we'll love that, you know, yeah. a lot of the times when men are, when men are struggling with any kind of addictive behavioral pattern, it is because relationships are a threat relationships, close, intimate relationships, um, aren't as trustworthy, aren't as safe as they need them to be. So that's one piece. Um, in terms of AI, <clears throat> you know, I think we see this huge kind of revolt in, uh, you know, on Reddit, you know, I see guys, you know, checking out from porn, checking out from dating altogether, which is a different story. But, you know, yeah. I see a lot of men that are like, you know, no fap, no nut, you know, they're, they're sort of practicing this regain your sense of autonomy and sovereignty and your, what I would call your, your self-leadership, right? Like your ability to lead yourself, your ability to make powerful decisions that are aligned and congruent with your own internal values and the man you want to be in the life you want to live. Right. And so I see a lot of men that are like, not nah, F that I know I've gone down that path. I know that when I'm living in that way, when I'm watching porn, you know, however many times a week for however long, that that's just out of alignment with the man that I want to be. That's out of alignment with the values that I want to live. So I think mm -hmm. there there's already this big cohort of men that are that are checking out. Yeah. I would say that that's not the average though. I would say that that's not the that's not the average guy. I would say that the average guy is probably still, you know, watching porn quite a bit. Uh, just an example of this is OnlyFans in 2021 made $5.4 billion, Jeez. right? So like, where did all that money come from? The majority <laughs> of it is coming from the pockets and the wallets of men, right? Yeah. Like, that's just the reality of it. So, so there are men checking out from watching porn and checking out from using these, these platforms. Things like AI... I've talked about this quite a bit because it is somewhat alarming. Um, there's, there's this, there was this Instagram influencer named Mila Sophia. I don't know if you saw this, but Mila sure. Sophia is a part of this new wave of social media influencers that are completely AI generated. So oh, it's no, I haven't seen this. all of, all of these images are AI generated. All of her, her quote unquote content <laughs> is AI generated. Uh, and then it's driving guys towards a, towards an OnlyFans page where there's more scandalous, uh, you know, photos and content that's all AI generated. And when you interact with quote unquote Mila Sophia, you're interacting with an AI chatbot that has been designed to flirt with you and sexed with you and all that kind of stuff. And so wow. the, the reality is that for, for some men, for quite a few men, you're going to start to see guys having digital girlfriends, you know, where there's, this already exists. You there's apps where you can create your own digital girlfriend. You can create what she looks like. You can create her personality. You can create how she talks to you. And so I think that more and more we're going to see, um, this sort of checking out, I was calling it like the simplification of modern men, but maybe that's a little too <laughs> too harsh, right? But like, you're going to see this kind of like mass checking out where it's going to be so much easier for you as a man to kind of have your, uh, your internalized fantasy of what you think a woman should be like, look like, sound like, how she should talk to you. Hmm. All that's going to be available. You're going to be able to create that. Is it going to be satisfying? 
No, for the most part, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, are there some men who want that? Sure. You know, maybe there's some guys that are like, listen, that's just easier than, you know, having to deal with the hardship of a relationship or the rejection of approaching women. And yep. that's just the life that I want to lead. Like, okay, cool. You know, no, no shame, no judgment. Like that's, that's not what I would promote or advocate for or the life that I would live. Yeah. Um, but I realize that other people are going to make different choices. And so I think it's yep. going to become easier and easier for you to check out. I don't get the sense that AI is, you know, going to revolutionize the porn industry per se. I yeah. think it's going to revolutionize things like OnlyFans. Um, I think that's where you're going to see this big shift over the next few years where a lot of the OnlyFans profiles are going to be um, completely AI generated. And then who you interact with is going to be an AI chatbot that is just exceptional at, you know, human behavioral manipulation, flirting, yeah. sexting, you know, figuring out exactly uh, what you want to do or hear or say, and then being able to give that to you. Right. And so it's like, oh, you want feet pictures. Let me give you, let me AI generate the perfect uh, foot based on your criteria and send that to you for you to get off to. And so like yeah. all of that is going to be possible, but I think what's going to start to happen is when we remove ourselves from the human connection, right? Because if you're a guy that's watching porn, you you know right now that you're watching a real person, right? You know that you're watching a, a real woman masturbate or get laid or whatever it is that you're watching, right? You're watching real lesbians, maybe not real lesbians, but you're watching <laughs> two women, you know, get it on. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's going to start to happen is we're probably going to see a segregation within the porn industry where just like there's things like hentai which uh by the way Pornhub yeah, released, released their data last year and and hentai was like the number, one, number thing one that guys were hentai watching. japanese one too yeah yeah and so but you're going to see this segregation where you're going to have sort of quote-unquote real life porn or real real uh human beings and they're going to have ai generated porn because yeah. make no mistake about it we're we're only a couple years away from having completely AI generated and rendered, not just photos, but entire videos. Right. And so that's going to be possible as well. And so I think you'll probably start to see different camps, right? It's like, oh, I only watch real people have sex, right? right. Or like, you're like, that's going to be the conversation in a couple of years. Like, oh, do you watch AI generated porn? Yeah. Kind of like, oh, when you watch porn, do you watch VR porn? So right. I don't get the sense that it's going to make it more addictive um I, I think it's like the the product itself is already very addictive and has all the markers that are necessary i think it's going to be what it's going to do is make it more easy or make it easier for a man to tailor to his specific preferences right yeah. if, like you can't get your only only fans girlfriend to do something that you want or say something that you want or create a video that you want or send you a photo that you want you can get the ai only fans girl to do that right because you'll just basically program it so i think that's yeah. how it's going to shift it it's going to make your preferences which my fear is that it's going to pull men even further away from what real human sexual intercourse and sexual experiences is actually about yeah right? because when we get so myopic and so fixated on 
you know, I got to watch this specific thing in order to not, that's a problem, right? Because you mm. are, you're sort of Pavlovian conditioning yourself to only get off to one specific thing. And a lot of men that have porn addictions go down that path, Oh yeah, right? They're like looking for the perfect frame or the perfect scene or whatever it is. And then they yeah. need that to get off. And then real life sex just isn't as exciting because it's not that specific scene, you know? Mm. So I'll, I'll pause there. Cause I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. And I just, said yeah. a ton. <laughs> no, it was really good. It really, I think really, really insightful. I, I would agree. I think the, if you look at like what kind of emerged when porn internet porn was just starting to, to kind of become popular, the reason that a site like Pornhub became so, so popular and kind of the number one is because you could basically find anything you wanted. And that, that whole customization and personalization has become so integral to the porn consumption experience because as you alluded to earlier, I'm really glad you did. There are individual reasons at a heart level that are driving a lot of these behaviors in the first place anyway. And so that, that ability to get a tailored experience has already existed to a, a pretty incredible degree with Pornhub, just when you consider the diversity of content that's available. But that's my concern as well with AI which is that now people can get literally exactly what they want down to the last micro detail. And um, one thing I would maybe, uh, I might have a different opinion is I think that will actually make it more addictive because I think the nature of the attachment that's formed when you get something that's so customized is actually stronger. And I think that stronger bonding that takes place in the consumption process could actually drive a deeper sense of addiction. Maybe not more addictions, but just a deeper sense of addiction. Um, and obviously that's, you know, that's to be determined. But let me use that to segue into the attachment component of this. I'm so glad you mentioned it. And I think we're very aligned in that way. I really do believe, um, I think attachment theory covers a multitude of sins. That's sort of my, uh, my psychotherapeutic uh, theorem of all that. Um, how, do you, how do you see the interplay between addiction and attachment? So my, my colleague that I lead all my men's weekends with, his name is Dewey Freeman and he's 73. He's got 90, you know, 80 to 85 to 90,000 clinical hours under his belt. He's been doing gestalt therapy and developmental psychology for 40 plus years. He's taught wow. 5,000 plus therapists. So he, he co-facilitates all the, all the live weekends that we do. And he's actually built his own attachment models over the years based off of mm. what he's seen. And in his model, which I really love, it's absolutely incredible. And it's the foundation of my work now. Um, in his model, attachment, when we can't attach to a primary caregiver, or we feel like uh, our primary relationships are tumultuous or volatile, or there's neglect or there's abandonment, we can have these interruptions in our ability to really form rooted and proper relationships with our primary caregivers and our primary caregivers from the ages of zero to about five or six will in, in those formative years that will form the foundation of how you go through relationships. Right. So for example, if you're two or three years old and you know, your parents go through a divorce and you don't see your dad anymore, um, you know, or you see your dad once a month or twice a month or something like that, that's going to create an interruption within your attachment style as a child. It's mm -hmm. going to psychologically, somatically, like in your body, teach you that there are certain elements of relationships, of 
quote unquote attachment that are unsafe, that are untrustworthy, and it'll create an interruption in your ability to pair bond most likely with men uh, mm -hmm. or most likely with sort of masculine traits and characteristics. And so for for a lot of people, and that's just one example, there's tons and tons and tons more I could I could give. But what ends up happening is that when we have those interruptions within our ability to actually create some type of healthy attachment with our caregivers, later on in life, what ends up happening is that we develop all of these behavioral patterns and coping mechanisms that actually keep us detached just enough within our relationship that we have to rely on other mechanisms, weed, mm. booze, porn, sexting, you know, thirst traps on whatever social media platform you're on, you know, having your OnlyFans girlfriend on the side, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So when we, and this, so here's the simple version, okay? When we can't or struggle to create a healthy attachment with a significant other, we then rely on attaching or creating some type of connection or relationship with a substance an object or a behavior, okay? Hmm. Substance, an object or a behavior. So substance, alcohol, weed, et cetera. Uh, a behavior is like watching porn. That's a type of behavior. You could have other things like neuroses, like needing to clean things a very specific way, needing your sock drawer to look a very specific way, right? <laughs> so that's a that's a behavioral pattern. Uh, or an object, right? So you 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 can be you can start to become very fixated on very specific OnlyFans girls because they have been they have been become an object. They've become objectified. Um, mm. Other objects, I mean, you know, certain video games. Uh, that's an object and a behavior. Um, yeah. You know, a car that all of a sudden becomes like the be all end all. Certain yep. possessions that you have. So when we when we don't feel like we can connect properly. In, a, in an intimate relationship, we will then sort of subsidize or substitute these substances, objects, and behaviors in order to fill the gap that we feel in our relationship. So mm. if you're a man that's out there to just sort of maybe simplify this, if you're a guy that's out there and you're struggling with porn, the likelihood is that there's a part of your intimate relationship. Let's just say that you're dating somebody or you're married and you watch porn all the time and, you, and you're struggling to quit it. There is a high, high, high likelihood that early on in your life, in your early childhood development, you had interruptions in your ability to create foundational attachment. And what's mm. happening is that later on in life, you're using something like pornography as a pseudo attachment. So anytime that you feel dysregulated as a man, this is the biggest reason that I have found the number one reason why men watch porn and can't stop watching porn. Number one reason is that you are experiencing something internally, loneliness, anxiety, anger, fear, stress, overwhelm, et cetera, boredom. And you don't know how to regulate that experience. And there's an unconscious belief that bringing that experience and co-regulating with another person and saying, Hey, I'm feeling anxious or, Hey, I'm feeling lonely or, Hey, I'm pretty frustrated. Bringing that to a partner or a friend isn't okay. And so mm -hmm. what you've done is you've actually replaced human relationship and human interaction 
with another person saying, hey, you know, I feel really stressed out about this work situation, or, you know, I feel kind of bored, or I feel pretty lonely in my life, rather than, you know, calling up a buddy or bringing that to your girlfriend or your wife, you just go watch porn. And what happens mm -hmm. when you watch porn, it numbs out that experience, it floods your brain with dopamine and, you know, the motivating chemicals, the, the chemical of more, the chemical of feel good. And you get off, you climax, a whole bunch of other chemicals flood through your body. And for a short period of time, you feel a little bit better. Right. And so what that's taught you is that if I'm feeling something I don't want to feel that I don't like, the fastest, easiest, simplest way for me to feel better is to go watch porn and get off. And then I won't have to deal with it again. And so in some ways, it's a very pragmatic, you know, our brain is like this magical machine right? That hmm. figures out how to solve our internal problems. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the way that it solves our internal problems, it actually creates more issues in the long run, but it's hmm. always looking for replicatable, familiar patterns. Like your brain is just a pattern recognition machine. Yeah. And so it will always choose the pattern that you know, over yep. the pattern that is unknown. And if porn has become something over the years, that is a known pattern that's trustworthy in terms of helping you feel a little bit better, that's trustworthy in helping you offload all that stress and anxiety or boredom or loneliness or whatever it is that you're going through, then your brain will try to move you towards that time and time mm -hmm. again, even if you're like, I don't want to watch this porn anymore. <laughs> like, I actually don't want to do this. Yeah. I'm trying to quit. And it's why, you know, for me, I'm very candid about my journey. It took me years to stop watching porn. Years, Same. like yeah. literal years. It was the yeah. most frustrating, embarrassing, anger-inducing experience. You know, I tried yep. everything. I tried bargaining with myself and God. I tried, I tried everything. I was like, <laughs> why can't I let go of this? And the more that I studied and researched, the more that I understood how my brain was actually trying to keep me safe by moving me back towards that experience. So that's a, that's a lot. That's attachment. The main piece I'll wrap up with and give it back to you here is just the simple version of this. If we want to overcome porn, one, we have to understand what we are feeling and experiencing when we have the urge to watch it. That's okay. the trigger point. Okay. If we don't understand the trigger point, because most guys, when I get into this work with them, they're feeling something they don't like. They're feeling yeah. anxious. They're feeling numb. They're feeling bored. They're feeling lonely. And they don't want to feel that way. And so we have to start to recognize what is that experience that you're having that's triggering the desire to go and watch porn because 90% of the time, it's not that you're horny. It's that mm -hmm. you're feeling something else and you've conditioned yourself to use porn as a feel better tool. Yeah. So that's one thing. And the second thing is we have to prioritize secure, healthy relationships, which for many of us is foreign, yeah. period right? Yeah. It's just foreign and it's scary and it's the unknown and it's frightening. <clears throat> so we have to be willing to do those two things. So I'll, I'll pause there. That's fantastic, man. Uh, that was very articulate. Thanks for explaining the framework and, and the interplay there. I, I totally agree. My follow-up question would be, okay, so somebody's identified. Yeah. I, there's, there's an uncomfortable emotion or there's something going on that is always affiliated with my triggers or generally affiliated and then I know I need to pursue more secure attachment, more secure relationships. You used a great word that uh, we use a lot on this podcast, 
uh, regulating and talked about co-regulating and the importance of that. What does somebody do if they're hearing you? They're like, okay, Connor, I get it. Um, I know I need to regulate better, but I don't feel like I have those places I can go. Or maybe I just don't know how to actually regulate in a healthy way and create these kind of new, better, superior attachments. How does somebody get started on that journey? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, one is there are tons of men's groups that are out there, right? I have one. I think you probably have one to support yes. men with this. <clears throat> so there are a ton out there. It's the uncomfortable thing that will produce change that you don't want to do. Right. So just notice if you are resistant towards joining a group of men, like, you know, I have the Alliance, there's 450 plus men from around the world. They, a lot of those guys talk about quitting porn all the time. Wow. And they're very open and they have an accountability partner. They pair up and they're like, okay, here's the agreement. I'm going to call you. I'm going to text you when I feel like I want to watch porn. Yeah. And a lot of guys just are embarrassed or feel ashamed to take that step. But it can mm. be so freaking helpful because the majority of the time when you're feeling that urge to go and watch porn, there's no one to talk to, right? There's no one to say like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at something like AA, a more traditional, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous dealing with addiction, that's the number one thing is you call a friend, right? You call your sponsor. And mm -hmm. there's a reason why if you look at AA, it's actually very attachment based. Mm -hmm. One of the primary things that that AA will do is that it will replace your addiction with a person. So when you feel the urge to use, when you feel the urge to go and buy drugs, when you feel the urge to do that stuff, you call a friend, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you're, so you're repairing your trust in the people that you're surrounded by. So yeah. that's one is go find a men's group, go find a group that's working on this, that's open and transparent, find one that aligns with you, try a couple of them. You know, what I always say to men is like, when you're looking for a therapist or a coach, don't settle right? Like, mm. you know, go and try a couple groups and find the right one that yes. you can stick with, you know? <clears throat> so that's one piece. The second piece is, and this is probably the part that is going to be harder to hear, which is you need to learn to build your tolerance to that internal experience. Mm. So I work a lot when I work with men, part of my frame is I, I have, I talk about something called the, the DFE, the direct felt experience. Your direct felt experience is what you are experiencing in any moment. <clears throat> could be numb, could be overwhelmed, could be stress, could be anxiety, could be anger, could be grief, could be sadness, could be joy, could be love, could be happiness, whatever it is. That's your direct mm. felt experience is the experience that's happening within you in any given moment. Now, most men, I would say the majority of men have a pretty good awareness of what their their DFE, the direct felt experiences in any given moment. Yeah. The challenge is that very few men have been taught what to do when their direct felt experience is something that they don't like, right. something that they don't want. Oh, I feel anxious. I don't want that. I better get away from it. Oh, I yeah. feel angry. Well, that's dangerous. I better shut that down. Oh, I feel frustrated or overwhelmed. I can't show that. So I got to shove that down. So once we get clear on what we're experiencing in those moments, part of learning to regulate is number one, you have to choose to actively build your tolerance to what you are experiencing. And two, you're going to do that in one very simple way. And again, I, I write about this in my book. I would encourage people to go check it out. Um, 
is what I did was I would set a timer for five minutes. I would sit down, I would close my eyes and I would breathe. And I would use a very specific breath pattern to feel into what I was experiencing in that moment that I was mm. wanting to avoid that was causing me to want to go and watch porn. Most of the time, what I was feeling was lonely and bored yep. or completely stressed out. Right. Right. So yeah. it, was a, it was a mix of those things. Sometimes I was angry, but like I, you know, you know, that was, that was a less experience. You know, it's, it wasn't so much like, oh, I'm pissed off. I need to go, you know, jerk off. It was more yeah. like, what else should I be doing? I'm bored, you know, or yeah. I feel alone. So yep. I would set a timer. I would sit down, close my eyes. And what you want to do is inhale through the nose for a count of four, pause for two, and exhale out the mouth for a count of seven, pause for two. So mm. it's like pause and then exhale. And then pause. What you're doing in that moment is something called down regulation. So mm. the count of four on the inhale and the count of seven on the exhale, six or seven on the exhale, when you have a longer exhale, what you're doing is number one, you're regulating your breaths per minute and your breath is the actual modulating dial for your autonomic nervous system. Now, hmm. why is that? It's because when you regulate your breath, you regulate your heart rate. And when you regulate your heart rate, you regulate your nervous system. Right. So that's the order. So if you can sit for four or five minutes, even three minutes, right? It's not a long time. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> but the first couple of times I started to do it, I was squirming. I was like, this is so stupid. Like, what am I doing this? And, you know, <laughs> I, I hated it. I hated it at first. But then slowly over time, just doing that over and over and over again, regulating the breath, regulating the heart rate, my nervous system would sort of slow down. And what I realized was I had a tremendous amount of energy in my body. And I had a lot of, I just had like a lot of momentum that I was mm. constantly trying to deal with. I, you know, I still do. So I do stretching every morning and breath work and cold showers. And I work out six days a week. It's like got a lot to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so for a lot of guys using the breath to regulate the heart rate, to regulate the nervous system, to shift out of this sympathetic nervous system response, maybe I'll just unpack this very, very quickly, because I think this would be helpful. There's two parts to your autonomic nervous system. There's a sympathetic and parasympathetic. Your sympathetic nervous system is like the gas pedal. That's the go part of your nervous system, which can be very helpful. And then the parasympathetic is rest and digest. So that's like the slow down, calm down, feel relaxed, right? So the extreme versions of that is um, when you're sleeping, you're in full parasympathetic. And mm -hmm. when you're awake and you've just had two cups of coffee and you're like running around the office doing that's like, you know, full on sympathetic. <laughs> so when you're in sympathetic, which a lot of us as modern men are, we are in this state constantly, yes. right? You have a lot going on. Your kids are yelling at home, you know, or you're trying to figure out for your boss and your career, you're trying to get your task list done, balance your finances, et cetera that puts you into your sympathetic that's your stress state and many of us in modern culture live in this sympathetic state and the problem is that we can't get out 
Yeah. Now, when you're in this sympathetic stress state, a couple of things are happening. One, you have more uh, stress hormones and chemicals floating through your body, right? Adrenaline, cortisol, norepinephrine, all those things are going through your body in higher doses, which is not good for inflammation uh, or your <laughs> long-term health. And two, your respiratory rate and your heart rate are elevated. So the more in your sympathetic system you are, the more stressed you are, the more overwhelmed you are, the more breaths you're going to be taking per minute and the faster your heart rate is going to go. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, one really important, crucial thing that is not conducive for getting a heart on. When you are stressed out, when your heart rate is elevated and your breath rate specifically is super elevated. So you're taking shallow breaths, right? Guys that have performance, performance anxiety are going to feel this, right? They usually have breath like right up here near their collarbone. Yeah. They can't take a deep breath into their belly. Their body's super tight. And so what's actually happening is that they're in a sympathetic dominant state. And so blood flow is constricted to your extremities, AKA your penis. And so you need to be able to use the breath to move out of that stress state and down into a more parasympathetic state. So in order to get an erection, what most men don't know and what, for whatever reason we don't teach in sex ed is that in order for men to get an erection, we need to be in a more parasympathetic dominant state. We actually yeah. have to be more in a rest and digest state, in a relaxed state. So how we do that is by training our bodies, training our minds to use the breath to down-regulate. And again, mm. that one breath that I gave you, in for a count of four, hold for two, exhale for six or seven, hold for two, that is clinically proven. It's not something that I'm just giving you that I just made up, that I just tried. It's clinically proven in studies to help downregulate your nervous system. And it's what they often give to people who have um, PTSD or severe PTSD when mm -hmm. they're dealing with, you know, uh, manic episodes or PTSD responses or panic attacks or high level, high levels of anxiety. So that's what I did. I set a timer, I sat down, I connected. What am I actually experiencing right now? And then I breathed. I just, mm -hmm. you know, used that breath cycle for three, five, six, seven minutes. And over time, what ended up happening was I conditioned my body to know how to regulate. Right. So anytime that that experience came up of like, oh, I have to watch porn, where I felt out of control before and I felt like I didn't have a choice, I now had a different choice breath work, mm -hmm. meditation stretching, right? All these different modalities that I could use. So you can self-regulate, you can co-regulate by calling, you know, your accountability partner or your friend and saying, Hey, I'm wanting to watch porn. Yeah. Um, can we just talk this out? Those are just some simple options that you can do immediately to, to you'll see results within a week or two. I, I promise you, you yeah. might not be able to like quit immediately, but you will see results in being able to feel more grounded feel more calm uh, and and to have a different choice in that moment other than I, I got to go watch porn. I got to do something to distract myself from what I'm ex from what I'm feeling and experiencing. Yeah, that's really good. Very relevant. I, I think for me, I probably just discovered about six months ago how stuck I am in a sympathetic state and 
am working to kind of just learn these things for myself. And um, the I haven't heard of that specific uh, breathing technique, so I'm going to try that one. That's cool. So four in, two second pause, seven yep. on the way out, and then a pause at the yes. end. You said right? How long is that pause at the end? Two. Two seconds. Okay, and then yeah. repeat. You can do you know you can do box the box breath four four yeah four four, four. four. yeah but um and that one works great but this one. The key is the longer exhale. When you have a yes. longer exhale than than an inhale, um, that's what's actually slowing your heart rate down. So it's a, right. that's a pretty important part. Yeah, because that's what actually engages the parasympathetic part of your nervous system, right? It's the exhale. That's right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And you mentioned setting a timer, which is a really good idea because it's going to be so uncomfortable when you first start. And yes. three minutes is a good a, a good threshold to start when people are trying it. Is that what you recommend? Yeah, three minutes is fine. If you're doing that breath for three minutes, you'll notice a difference. Another yeah. one that can be helpful is um, Dr. Andrew Humerman has this guided, uh, it's called NSDR, NSDR, non-sleep deep rest. And okay. that's another one. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that in the moment where you're trying to not go watch porn, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that might be a little bit harder because there's a visualization visualization component to it. Ah, uh, got it. Um, yeah, but um, that can be that can be good as well for just you know implementing during the day at some point to help your body just come down from the from the stress that we're you know everyone's normally carrying. Yeah, that's really good. Very very good. Um, let me let me ask you this: like your uh, your father, you have a two and a half year old. How does some of the stuff you've learned in your own journey, how is that impacting the way you're fathering? Because like we've talked about attachment and the importance of or how significant rather an interruption can be. And obviously as a father and a parent wanting to reduce those, limit those, limit their impact. And um, even some of this stuff like nervous system regulation is so important for a child, especially when they're just kind of developing. They rely so much on their parent for that co-regulation because they can't self-regulate yet um at least not not well um how how is it influencing your your um role as a father and obviously i'm asking for very selfish ambitions i'm about to become one myself so give me all you got man well you know i was i had a lot of mixed feelings around becoming a dad i was very excited you know um especially when i found out that i was going to have a son I, I didn't know that I actually cared, you know, uh, in the beginning, I was like, I don't really care if I have a boy or a girl, like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And then I found out that I was going to have a son and I was like, oh man, that's, that's exciting. And then I felt this pressure starting to set in mm. and because I work with so many men who, you know, are in some, in some areas of their life, just crushing it and exceptional. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with some really incredible human beings over the years, but are struggling in other ways. Yeah. And I look out at the world and some of the challenges that are happening in dating and the question mark of AI. And I was like, oh, he's going to have some serious obstacles, you know, to go against. And how do I prepare him for that? Right. And then the big, big, big piece that I was worried about was personally was losing my own freedom. You know, mm. I had built a life before my son came along of being able to travel, like to go wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted with who I wanted, you know, mm. like I really had designed my life to have some good freedom. So if my wife and I wanted to go travel for a couple of weeks, we could do that. If I wanted to go hang out with some buddies, you know, in 
wherever in Idaho or California or, you know, in Vancouver, Canada, I could go do that for a week or two. Yeah. And so I had this, this like, you know, kind of fear that started to mount as my son was getting, you know, closer to being born of like, am I going to lose my sense of freedom? And I realized one major thing, which was that, you know, I would, I would literally take a bullet for him. I, I would, I would stand up for him. I would die for him, but I wouldn't, I wasn't going to choose to live my life for him hmm. or, or any of my kids. And so I decided that how I wanted to live was to, because I really believe that especially young boys, they learn how to be a man, how to be a man in the world through modeling, through what mm. they see. Yeah. And I see this with my son all the time now. And so how I've prioritized regulation and supporting him, you know, I see he's very much like me. He's got, you know, like a nuclear power plant within his chest <laughs> of energy. He's just this big ball, bundle of energy. Um, but I do some very simple things. I've taught him to breathe. He's two and a half, but for the last year, I'll, I'll give you some very specific things that I did. So okay. after he was born every single morning during the spring, and the summer, when it was warm enough, I would take him outside and put him in the grass. I would lay him down in the grass and I would have coffee with him outside in the morning, even if it was just for five minutes. So mm -hmm. we would, you know, sit be with the trees, be with the silence, be with the wind blowing through the leaves, uh, that kind of stuff. So just planting him in nature was one piece. The okay. second piece was about a year ago when he would start throwing tantrums or he would be upset and he was starting to learn speech, I would point to my nose and I would say, inhale, exhale. Hmm. Wow. And it took probably about a month, but then he, he caught on to it. And so now when he's really upset, I'll let him, you know, throw a little bit of a tantrum because all kids need to get their, that energy out. Mm -hmm. And then if, you know, it's reaching a certain point where, you know, he kind of needs some regulation, I'll pick him up, I'll wrap my arms around him and I'll say, inhale, exhale. Mm -hmm. And not every single time will he do it, but the majority of the time, after I take a couple of breaths, he'll go, he'll look at me and he'll roll his eyes and he'll, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he'll start to breathe with me. And then it immediately shifts his tantrum. He like immediately shifts away from it. Wow. And his, it's like, you know, the duck getting into a fight and then sh shaking their bodies and getting all that energy off, right. Or the dog mm -hmm. getting into a fight with another dog and shaking their bodies and getting all the energy off. That's, that's actually what animals are doing when they have a, a, a tussle or an interaction with another animal when they're shaking their bodies afterwards, they're actually resetting their nervous system. They're actually mm. using a physical release to let go of the energy of moving into that sympathetic, uh, you know, dorsal vagal, which is a, a polyvagal term, but dorsal vagal response of fight, yeah. flight, or freeze. Right. And so we can train our kids to do that. And then the last thing is sometimes I'll, uh, today still if he's really throwing attention the breath isn't working i'll pick him up i'll carry him outside and i'll literally just sit him in the grass or stand him in the grass outside and i'll just sit down with him mm. and and i'll just breathe and calm my nervous system and if i can hold him and have some type of physical contact with him i will and then yeah. he'll he'll calm pretty quickly yeah. Um, or, you know, I'll say, look at the trees or listen to the wind, or do you see the sun or do you see the moon? And yeah. those types of things help him to reorient 
Yes. Because what can happen, what happens for kids when they're that dysregulated is their their systems just in like complete uh explosion mode, right? Like yeah. the emotions just coming out, they're completely dysregulated, and they need an external source to help bring them back into some type of regulated state. And what happens, unfortunately, for most kids is that when they get dysregulated, their parents get dysregulated because their parents never had anybody to be calm, to be grounded, to breathe, and to mm -hmm. pay attention to what was happening in their own bodies. Because mm -hmm. I'll tell you, when your kid is dysregulated and throwing a tantrum or screaming or throwing things or whatever they're doing, it is going to cause you internally to feel something uncomfortable. Yeah. You're going to feel dysregulated. You're going to feel that anger, that frustration, <clears throat> you know, especially if you're out in a public place and it feels a bit embarrassing, like your kids just yelling and screaming or, or like throwing a tantrum and you, you just want to get them to stop in that moment mm -hmm. immediately. Yeah. Um, so the best thing that we can do as parents is to regulate ourselves when our kids are dysregulated. So everything mm. that we've been talking about in this podcast is going to set you up for success yeah. <laughs> for dealing with a dysregulated Look at that. child. It all came yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think um, even just the visuals is really helpful, like pointing to the nose, pointing to the mouth. Um, yeah, I love it, man. Um, I want to ask you another 500 questions, but uh, we're, we're approaching our time here. I want to, I want to honor yeah. that. The book is called Men's Work. Um, the organization, the podcast is called Man Talks. I highly recommend you guys go check it out. It, I think, um, Connor, you're probably one of the more articulate voices for, uh, I would say, like just healthy masculinity. I've really appreciated what you're doing. And um, this was a fantastic interview. Thanks for just sharing all your wisdom and knowledge. Did I leave anything out? Is there anything else we can direct the audience to to go check your stuff out? No, nah, that's it. I mean, the yeah, the book Men's Work. Um, is it's what I will say is it's chock full with questions and exercises it's meant Good. for you to actually go through and do work, uh, not just read. So make sure you have okay. a, a journal with that, but this was great, man. Thanks for letting me unleash some of this stuff <laughs> and just, <laughs> just drop, drop some of the knowledge that I've collected over the years. Oh, it was really good, man. I appreciate it. And thanks so much for your time. Oh man. Oh man. What an interview. That was so incredible. I learned a ton and I just like it when guys are so articulate man. he was just spot on the stuff he was explaining and uh, you can tell he's really uh, walking the walk and so very grateful for Connor look um, we're doing something a little bit different here Connor's actually just launched a course on quitting pornography for men if that's something that you are interested in there's a link in the show notes for you to go check it out it is an affiliate link which means we get a bit of a kickback if you sign up uh, if you don't want me to get a kickback that's fine you can just go to his website and sign up for it that way as well but what i what i would recommend you ask yourself is did i resonate with the message is he somebody i would trust enough to do things that i wouldn't trust myself to do that's what that's how you know you're actually going to be primed for breakthrough that trust has to be there so don't just do it because i told you to do it or because it's reputable because uh, he is very well respected uh, make sure that you go and you vibe with what he's doing and you trust him enough to, um, to you know, do the things that he's going to ask you to do. And if uh, for whatever reason, maybe his approach or his messaging isn't quite landing with you, that's okay. There's other options out there. Uh, one of those is our program, which is called Deep Clean. And this is my full-time work. We help men quit porn addiction. Uh, we have a team of several coaches now and several people that are helping us help hundreds of men quit porn every single day. 
If you want to be part of that group or you want to at least find out more about what we're up to, there's a link in the show notes for you to book a call with someone on our team. This, these calls are reserved for people who are serious about quitting porn. They're ready to make a, a full commitment to the process and um, they've resonated enough with our message. Like I said, you shouldn't just do it because I told you to do it. You should do it because you actually think we can help you and because our approach seems to be a good match for your approach or what you're looking for in an approach. So the link is in the show notes and um, you can find out more there as well. So click on that link, you can book your time and then there's some videos and stuff that'll explain everything. In the meantime, guys, thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate you guys. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast, and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.